by the power of Castle Hate Skull, I am Hellamark Harley. And I, today, am wearing a wife beater. Is that the only term we have available these days, right? Is it like a tank? It's, it's a tank top, but it's not a tank top. This is commonly referred to as a wife beater. Why are you wearing a wife beater, Mark? That's not in your normal repertoire of clothing. Well, the thing is, I did a sketch the other day. Yes, I'm a very important actor, and people invite me to do sketches all the time for free. And I say, yes, I can do that because I make so much money in so many other endeavors that it really doesn't matter to me whether I get paid for this little sketch or not. In this case, it's a guy named Adam W. He's got a lot of subscribers on YouTube, puts out a lot of sketch content. I'm aware of him, and he's worked with people I know. And he was like, what's up, dude? Like, actually, his assistant hit me up. This is how big Adam W. is. He hit me up to do a sketch via his assistant. You know you're dealing with a big-time baller when somebody's like, yo, this is so-and-so's assistant to schedule you in. And it's like, damn, like I'm getting the assistant treatment, huh? Which you would think almost would be condescending, but you're like, no, 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 I appreciate the fact that this dude is so busy, so focused, so in the zone that he can't handle all these logistical issues because he's busy being creative. So he's doing some branded content for Old Spice, and I needed to show up in non-branded gym attire, which I don't have any. I don't have any tank tops. I don't have logos on them, etc. So I said, let me go to Target. And for the first time in probably 10 years, I'm going to buy a pack of these wife beaters. So uh, turns out I look really good in them. I hate to break, you know, I remember, oh yeah, this is why I would wear them in high school. I put them on, they're form-fitting, they hug the waist, they cup the titties, they look incredible, specifically, on, I can't say for you, maybe you look bad on a wife beater, maybe you've got a gut and skinny arms, I don't know what's going on with your body personally, I hope that everybody looking at this has the body that they dream of, but even I don't have the body I dream of, it's just like really close to that. So, I decided, you know what, it's time to reintroduce a tire just like this. No labels, uh, no logos, nothing flashy, just titty hugging action. So that's the backstory of how Mark went to Target to buy undergarments. Guys, last time we did a podcast, I was about, like right after we finished, I went to go to an orthopedic specialist to get my shoulder looked at. I forget how much I've talked about my shoulder on this podcast because again, I have CTE and my cognition is slowly declining each episode. As Casey's pointed out, I don't necessarily remember what I said in each episode. Five minutes ago, I may have no idea. What, is this show already up and running? What have I talked about so far? I can't totally be sure. All I have is guesstimates. But I know I've at least mentioned the fact that my shoulder is fat. And uh, let's just say this, I confirm that it's even more fucked than I thought it was previously. I went in, and I'll be honest here, okay? Like, this is something that I'm gonna get vulnerable over to try to give you the actual emotions that I was feeling when I got this diagnosis because I went to the specialist and thought, this is finally gonna be the solution to the problem that I have this chronic pain in my shoulder, I have these areas of weakness and atrophy, basically my whole right side, like my pec is a little bit smaller in my shoulder, this part, and there's like little strands where it's like, oh, my rear deltoid is like, just like just that slice of muscle here, and then like the medial deltoid is fine, and then, you know, there's just all these little issues, like when you have a major, you know, joint that does so many things, right, it affects so many other things, and 
I have just been powering through it all these years and kind of working through the pain because if it's not like debilitating to the point of like, I can't raise my arm, you know, I'm going to prefer to be like, push through it. Don't be a pussy. Yes, it's a dull ache or whatever, you know, pain, if you can tolerate it, then it's totally fine, right? That's a, an attitude I think a lot of guys take when they're dealing with these chronic pain issues that in my case stem from having my shoulder dislocated. I even use the word subluxated because I'd see other people get their shoulders dislocated. Have you ever dislocated your shoulder? I have, yeah, okay. actually. Uh, I initially did it playing basketball. I went and like swiped down on the ball mm -hmm. and the dude was holding it mega hard and the my shoulder went and it was out and it was like scary. It didn't go back in for a little while. Yeah. And then it would come out in my sleep all the time. Yeah. So, and in the, that moment of like, it comes out and it's really painful and like put it back in. Was that very dramatic? Like, was it like, ah, like that kind of thing? Yeah. I wasn't screaming, but I said to my friend, I was like, I'm scared. Yeah. Like it wasn't going back in and it was yeah. all dangly and wonky. Yeah. And so I think because I've seen people have that happen and whenever like there's a, I've seen a shoulder dislocation, it looks more like that where it's like, oh, fuck. But apparently I have really loose shoulders. Like I can, I don't know, like I used to think everybody could kind of do this. Like, I don't know if you see like, but I was like, they kind of like my shoulders can kind of roll out of the socket anyway. And they always have been able to do that. That creates a slightly looser shoulder. And so like. I would experience dislocation, but it was like just painful and then it popped back in, but it wasn't like this, oh, it's hurt. And then I have to shove it back. It was like, you know, well, it's loose to begin with, but that doesn't mean it still can't be damaged. So over the years, um, you know, what ends up happening is you, you wear away the labrum, you know, the cartilage lining of the ball and socket joint, uh, which wasn't totally confirmed. He was just speculating, but I think you need another, we, did, we took an x-ray. So you need, maybe need other types of imaging to know exactly what's going on, but it for sure like doesn't feel good and, and as smooth as the other one. And when I lift really heavy, it just felt like, oh, there's this dull ache afterwards. It kind of suggests like, you know, or, or certain positions like, like this to see like, ah, you get the bone on bone feeling that other people report from having these degenerative joint issues. Now, I'll just back up by saying, I thought I was gonna go in here and find a solution. And by the way, shout out, shout out to my friend, um, Austin, who set this up. He's a doctor from Toronto who I met online and he hooked me up with his buddy from medical school who's in orange. He, he, my insurance didn't cover the visit, so he paid for it. Super, I mean, come on, dude, how generous are you? And, and these people that I meet online that don't owe me anything, don't, you know, never met me in person, but are still willing to do stuff like that. That's very touching in and of itself because it's something I just would have put off, you know? And I was able to do the imaging right there and get to the bottom of it. Now, I was expecting some sort of answer like, oh, we found the little tiny thing that's wrong. And all we have to do is, you know, put a scope in your shoulder and take that out and then everything's going to be fine, right? And the, the only impediment to my full use of my shoulder would be having some sort of minor arthroscopic surgery and my arm would be in a sling for a couple of weeks and then I can go back to building it back up per usual. And really, again, the main annoyance was the pain, but really like the asymmetry. I don't know if you've ever had this, but you're like looking at them, you're like, fuck, like my one side looks different and it's annoying and just kind of, you know, if you're bodybuilding, you potentially fixate on that. So go in, get the images. Uh, he, he does it from all angles and then we put him up there and he's like, see right here, you got these, uh, these bone spurs, right? From the bones rubbing together because all the cartilage is gone. Like you develop these little, you know, extra areas of bone, I guess, on on your shoulder. So like inside 
you know, the socket and on the end of the humerus. Um, not good, right? <laughs> because that's years of like causing, you know, un unnecessary friction and stuff like that. So you got bone spurs and then he said you have an arthritic shoulder, which I was into, you know, I don't know, even know how arthritis works. I'm like, wait, I don't even realize, you know, I, <laughs> I just associate it with like commercials for old people rubbing their hands. That's what I'd say. Arthritis. Ah, it's like, okay, it's some sort of joint inflammation, I guess. But, um, yeah, it makes sense because I have this, you know, like chronic sort of pain in my shoulder when I do things with it. And then I think that pretty much covers it. Um, but I guess it's like, okay, okay, yeah, sure, cool. What's the solution, right? Because you can tell me whatever's wrong with my shoulder, but it's like, and we can fix it, right? <laughs> Therein lies the issue because the first thing he says is now we could go in there and do a shoulder reconstruction where you go in there and you shave off the bone spurs and, uh, you know, you, you take out any loose shit there and yada yada. And uh, you, I don't know exactly what they do, but they essentially create stiffness because the big issue is you have this looseness in your joint when it's been popping, you know, which again, when you're lifting super heavy, you just want, you want a very stable shoulder. And the things that happen that undermine that stability are the cause of this pain and atrophy in certain muscles because you just can't fire it with the same sort of strength and stability from certain angles. So he goes, well, we could do a shoulder, a complete shoulder reconstruction, which also was kind of like, well, that's intense, right? Um, because I've had an ACL reconstruction and, you know, nine months of uh, rehab to get back to normal. And so I was like, okay, cool. It's, okay, it sounds intense, but let's do it, you know? And then he's like, well, the only thing is in 15 years, you're going to need a shoulder replacement anyway. And I was like, oh, like a shoulder replacement? Like they're gonna like saw off the bone in my shoulder and put metal into it. And I looked it up later. It's actually not as bad as I thought, but in the moment, it felt like he was diagnosing me with cancer or something. Like I have, you know, not to belittle cancer or, or make light of anybody's experience because obviously these two are incomparable. It just felt like I was like looking out into my future and had this one future in mind where it's like, I'm going to be 50 and 60 and be lifting like totally normal, like, you know, with no restrictions whatsoever. And then in that moment, I'm like, I'm going to have to give up the only thing that brings me joy in life. Right? Like, you know, sinking, like legit, like I almost felt like crying, which is not, I just don't, you know, and I'd be open about it. Like I do, I cry about my cat, whatever. I don't care. I, I can talk about the, the ways in which I cry. I'm never going to like be ashamed of that. But that was one of these moments. It just doesn't happen a lot, but you know, and I suppress it, but it's like, uh, I really was sitting there feeling like, it's not, are you sure? Can you check again? Can you look at the x-rays one more time? Um, and so therein lies the problem is, you know, he goes, you can have the shoulder reconstruction, but when they create that stiffness, which helps the stability of your joint in the reconstruction, uh, what it does is undermines your ability to recover from the replacement later on because you really like, I actually have a really good range of motion, you know, like this is extremely painful, but I can like, I could do a snatch. It's just like in the latter part of that range of motion, it starts to hurt a lot. And if you have a shoulder reconstruction, you're not going to be able to do this, right? For the sake of the stability. So you take all these things away, which makes the rehab harder when you have a replacement and like potentially more likely to like something could go wrong with just because when you're shaving down bone, then it's like, 
there's less bone there and it could like, you know, cause you can have this metal thing in your fucking arm and it could break or, you know, like your, your the bone could fracture or whatever after that. So it increases the risk of complications uh, when you're doing the replacement in say 15 years. So I was like, oh, so that's not even on the table. I'm just gonna have to like wait until it gets so bad that they have to saw off, you know, the bones in my arm and put a fucking bionic thing in there. So I had this moment where I was like, felt like crying, felt like it was pointless, felt like I'd had hope this entire time and went in and it was just like all dashed. However, my mindset, and I hope to impart this on you because I do believe in this approach to bad news is just reframing it. You know, I had one frame in mind that was gonna make, surgery is gonna fix it. And I was attached to that irrationally and just let myself really believe that there was this easy fix involved without any real information about, you know, what exactly was going to need to happen. After I had a few hours of pouting and my little pity party, I realized, okay, no, I can, I can change the way I train. I don't have to give these things up. I looked up some videos online of people training after having the shoulder replacement. It's actually pretty remarkable. You know, I don't know if you've known anything about like these replacements or you know, but the thing is, and I actually train a guy who's going to have a hip replacement soon. And it's like, you're in a lot of pain when you don't have it. You might be limited to certain things you can do with a hip replacement, but you're not in pain. You know what I mean? Like the pain totally goes away. So at least I have that to look forward to. And somehow the hip seems a lot scary because you're like sawing off your fucking femur. <laughs> You know, and, and just one. when you look at the diagram of the shoulder, it's like, oh, it's less than you like, they're still doing a lot of stuff to it, but it's, it doesn't look as intense. So I reframed it. I'm like, it's not a bad thing. I still have 15 years. I can get as strong as possible. And really, he just made some minor suggestions about how to change your training, which I'm going to have to do. I really like going to failure, using heavy weights and doing things like wide grip bench press. Why? Because my ego says, well, you can lift more when you do wide grip or whatever it is, but usually it's like, I'm gonna say, oh, well, like I know, I've noticed I can do more when I do this and yada, yada. And so I've just lifted like that for a long period of time. And I know I'm going on and on about my shoulder, but let me just wrap this up. <laughs> because this is part of, uh, you know what? I'm gonna save the rest of it, how I'm gonna adjust my training for a bro science academy, all right? So we'll get back to that, just you watch. Uh, but we're going to, Go into a couple more things for subful so I can tell you about my weekend because I'm going to set up some other things too. So I went with uh, Brendan to the No Jumper podcast. That was cool to meet Adam22 and see that set. He's got a lot of interesting uh, content. He's sort of living the life. Are you, You're aware of Adam22, right? I'm not. Okay. So he runs this podcast called No Jumper. It's kind of hip-hop themed um, and also themed towards like getting like popular Instagram thoughts or, and I even hate using that word, but it's just like the women, promiscuous women on social media who have OnlyFans or do sort of sexual publicity stunts. Like, you know, I'm known for blowing all the dudes on the Lakers while they're in the NBA bubble, you know, whatever it is, like he'll have that girl on, right? That's going in the teaser, by the way, <laughs> that one right there. I hope it does. Now, and then he also, he's got this girl Lane of the Plug is her name, and they also shoot content for either Patreon or OnlyFans, whatever it is, but like, he'll have a hot girl on who's like in porn, and then they both have a threesome with her. <laughs> it's kind of like, like, 
I think if most guys were being honest, they look at that and go like, now that's the life. The dude's getting paid. He's like, hey, like I have this stable relationship. And then it's like, you mind if I fuck this super hot chick like on camera and we can make money from it? Like pretty sweet business model, huh? So nothing but respect. He was a really cool guy. His associates are all cool. And I just, you know, it's cool to be, to go, you know, see the behind the scenes of a, of a show that I actually watch. Also went, uh, oh my God, <laughs> I saw uh, another Shop and Friends show and Aziz Ansari dropped in, Casey. And uh, I'm a fan of his stand-up. You know, watched his specials and stuff. I, I've never seen him live before. And he did this bit. I'm not sure how organic it was because obviously he's really good at stand-up comedy. And he could have made it seem like it was off the cuff. But I think the intention was to make it seem like this was an organic thing. But I, I think the first thing he said in the middle of the set was like, are there any interracial couples here? And he looked out to the crowd and found one. And I think he asked a girl who was uh, not white if she used the N-word. And then he starts asking the guy, how many times in your life have you used the N-word? Like in public and private. And it just got so awkward and so funny because it's like, you know, he's like, all right, like, uh, you know, your first thing is, I've never used it in my life. Like, ah. and then it's like, okay, but like in private, you know, like three times, we're talking 10 times, we're talking a million. And he's like, get, like forcing the guy to like narrow down a guesstimate of how many times he's used the N word, you know, in this uh, public space. And it was just like, holy shit. And he, he just kept pressing, like he pretended like back up. He's like, all right. So like three, like 12, like we're saying like between like nine and 12 and me, you know, um, but it was this perfect timing because of the Joe Rogan stuff, which we'll also get into. And it's like a little, you know, it, it reminded me of the approach that I want to explain when I think about these things and try to have my own opinion on them because that was a take I've never heard before. Like, ask a random white person. <laughs> like, not yes or no, do I use this? Be like, all right, like, you could say I'm never going to use it again, but like, in your life, like, how many times have you used the N-word? Um, and watching people squirm in response to that is just so painful but also so funny last couple things i went to the super bowl event with brendan got to meet uh it was like this money line event where he's sitting on a couch podcasting with mike tyson football player named brandon marshall who's a giant i mean the dude played wide receiver you aware of like i wasn't totally aware of him because i stopped playing football or watching football but it's like oh this guy's a wide receiver I'd be shocked if he was under 260 pounds. Like the guy just dwarfs me and it's like, oh, you're the, you're like the skinniest like <laughs> position, like you know, the cliche of a, of a wide receiver. So, you know, it's always interesting to put that in perspective of like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I didn't make it to the NFL. Um, nothing was even trying. Okay. I could have, if I wanted to, and I was stronger, faster, better at football, had better football intelligence and started playing football at an earlier age. But like, aside from that, uh, oh, and the <laughs> we're going to do a hater of the week based on what happened here. But like there was, I, you know, I always get bombarded with this shit where it's like, oh, 40, 40 people are telling, DMing me the same exact thing. Funny, funny coincidence. Wonder where that's coming from. Um, at some point during the Super Bowl podcast, Brendan's sitting on the couch. He asked me to grab him a whiskey because there's like a party in the background and it's kind of, you could get up and Mike Tyson kept getting up and like wandering in the crowd, but it's like, you know, it's a hassle, right? So Asked him to bring him a drink. I come handed to him, and in the process of trying to be slick and like not be on camera, I knock over multiple plants. <laughs> and so now I have to be like, I'm like, oh fuck, and like I'm, you know, I'm not gonna be like, eh, come clean this up. Like you're gonna see it on camera. So I'm like, oh, now I have to like go in and like 
you know, as inconspicuously as possible, which might not be possible to be inconspicuous, but I have to upright the plants again. That was the main embarrassing thing. People are DMing me all weekend like, oh, I saw you hiding in the plants and you're Brendan's servant and like, that's why you're such a failed actor because you have to work as Brendan's intern bringing him drinks uh, for money and that's your job and you'd suck at everything and that's why you live in a tree, you know? <laughs> like, and everybody's repeating the same exact shit. I'm like, oh, no, no, like, I was there. I know what happened. I wasn't hiding in a plant. I knocked it over and that's embarrassing, but like, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, like, it wasn't like this humiliating, like, oh my God, you know? 150,000 people watched the live stream that I was on for four seconds knocking over a plant. Ugh, gonna kill myself. Um, so it's always funny, the prem, like, you know, just, again, this, we'll analyze that in a second, but I just wanted to set that up, that, like, that was cool. That was, you know, one moment there where it's like, ah, it's unfortunate, I don't give a shit, but then when I see, like, 50 people fixating, I'm like, oh, oh, that's still the best you got, huh? Is that I knocked over a plant. <clears throat> And you still have to misrepresent that, but it was cool to meet Daniel Cormier, super cool guy. Not going to lie, went the first thing I said to him, what do you guys think it was? I actually know, because oh, I heard oh, on fire. Uh, uh, <laughs> great um, line, though. Let's hear it. Okay. I went up to him and said, uh, you're talking to the Marin County Athletic League Wrestling Champion 2001. <laughs> Just... You know, That's let's so just, funny to say to Daniel Cormier, I know. like I just the most like, decorate, like the best wrestler yeah, in the UFC. This is two championship level. <laughs> and so the caption I posted on Instagram was, you know, haters will say this isn't a picture of two elite wrestlers. So met him, yes. Met him and uh, Yuri Prohaska. That was kind of the highlight. And I saw, like, it looked like Yuri Prohaska, the light heavyweight from the UFC. And he's got this hair in a bun. But I didn't want to yell it out. I didn't want to be like, Yuri! And it's like, oh, it's just a guy with a man bun. Um, but I did talk to him. He was super cool. And my one interaction with Mike Tyson, because everybody focuses on him and wants to take pictures. And I guess I kind of have this ethical issue with like just going up to somebody for a picture. Like I took a picture with Daniel Cormier because it's like, well, I talked to you for five minutes. So now I feel like I'm justified in asking for a picture, but I'm not going to go up to Mike Tyson. And be like, Hey, Mike, can I get a picture? Thanks, Mike. But during the halftime show, the best halftime show of all time, a lot of people are saying, He's bobbing his head as Eminem is, uh, you know, doing the lose yourself performance. And I say, you like Eminem? And he's like, yeah. So Whoa. we're best buds now. Wow, dude. Tyson. It's whatever, dude. Thank you so much. Um, now the show can go on. It is not, the computer will not die today. Okay, did you guys watch Euphoria at all? Yeah, all caught okay. up. Okay, you're all caught up. Yeah. God damn, was that like, it's just, now... I'm a big fan of these types of units of entertainment. I like American Beauty. I like Little Children. I like Chad Coltgen as an author who uh, writes a lot of this kind of like dark suburban stories. I'm just a really big fan of like things that are set in America and they're like, you know, surface level. This looks like a normal high school life, you know, in a suburb of a major American city or something like that. And then underneath the surface is the dark, gritty realness. And I think they just do such an excellent job of making things uncomfortable. And you're just sitting there in the moment-to-moment -moment tension, especially the last couple episodes, like you're in pain. And I think that's like a testament to like, if you can make me feel super uncomfortable, but, but I can't look away, like what a great piece of storytelling. And that's because I'm like, if it was just uncomfortable, I'd turn it off, right? But you're like, I need to know what's happening. And also I'm super uncomfortable and this is so awkward. And you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like, 
when <laughs> the blonde chick gets called out for, you know, Rue's like, yeah, how long have you been fucking Nate for? And then the whole room's just like, oh, you know, and you're sitting there, she's like, ha, 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 what? What are you talking about? That's w- one of many moments, but the way that they drew out all that tension and mm, the unexpectedness of how that woman responded to like Rue saying, you know, I don't have the drugs anymore. And she's so calm. I was like, oh my God, like she's such a good actress. The way she's like, I haven't gotten angry in my entire life. You know, whatever it was like, I'm going to sell you into child sex trafficking, but I'm not angry. You know, <laughs> I didn't say she would have told me about it. Um, oh, just, it's just quality. You know, it's not about like the kids being in high school or the drugs or the darkness. It's just, it's high quality storytelling on every level. Okay. All right. Let's take a little bit of a break for me talking endlessly about myself and my issues to talk about some stuff that I'm on right now as you're watching this episode. Recently, I began experimenting with Kratom. It's something that I've read about for a couple years now and heard of the benefits and had been eager to try. And then Brendan came to me with a potential sponsor in Happy Hippo Kratom. And I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to actually try it and give it a go. So before this podcast, I took some Kratom and I gotta tell you, it really works. As far as the, the, the promise of what Kratom does as a sort of limitless pill, as something that fires up your brain as a nootropic, uh, Brendan, for example, uses it every time he goes on stage. Uh, I know a lot of people that use it as a, a focus enhancer. And I've been eager to try it, and I wasn't sure if it's going to work because I take a lot of caffeine. And, you know, I'm always skeptical of products that sort of, you know, claimed, oh, this could be like Adderall or this could be it's better than caffeine, you know. People make big claims, rarely do they deliver. I feel really excited about the fact that this delivers on what it promises. Now, the other thing is too, this is a reputable company, right? Kratom right now is kind of like this, you know, what CBD used to be. There's a wild west out there and the quality control over these products is something you should consider very seriously when you're buying Kratom. This is a legit company, highest quality products. You can trust that what is in these products that you buy is what's on the label, okay? So if you want high quality Kratom and you wanna know what's actually in the packaging, go with Happy Hippo. So if you use promo code thickboy 3 cs at happyhippoherbals.com, happyhippoherbals.com, use code thickboy 3 cs for 20% off for life. So you can use that as many times as you want. I encourage you to try this. I, it's like I've been legitimately impressed and I'm gonna do more segments about this in the future, starting with next week. We're gonna do a deep dive on Kratom, and I hope you try it out and see what you think. Leave a comment if you already use it, and tell me how it has infected your life and what you like to do in it. Back to the action. Have I ranted enough? Is the entire podcast me talking about my shoulder? That's okay. Let's get to some hey, that hurts. Haters will say, Mark looks like his mouth was mauled by a chimpanzee, and then he became the first recipient of an experimental procedure that used skin from his own asshole to reconstruct his lips. That's not true because I would have known if I had that procedure, right? So I can tell you from a firsthand perspective, I didn't have that procedure done. Uh, You may be mistaking me for somebody else who has asshole lips. Haters will say Mark is the poster boy for what happens when your parents give you too much positive affirmation. Do you think that's that's true? No. I'm a good person, right? 100%, dude. Yeah, I'm interesting. Like, I'm funny, right? Yeah. Right, Mom? Um, 
Haters will say Mark got banned from his local 24-hour fitness after management received several complaints about him staring at old guys' dicks in the locker room. That one? They told me something else, you know. But, like, you know, is it my fault that they change so slowly? It's like, yeah, you know, you, you, you wag that old man dick out for long enough, I'm going to take a peek, right? But if it's out for five minutes and I'm looking for 30 seconds, comparatively, that's not that long of a time. If it was only out for 30 seconds and I'm looking the entire time, I think then that's a more legitimate grounds for complaint. But the fact uh, is I was looking for only 10% of the time on average that that old man's penis was out amongst other old man penises. But, you know, it's not a sexual thing. I'm just fascinated by old man dicks. Okay, Mark. Haters will say Mark's the kind of guy who recently dry cleaned his high school letterman jacket just in case an upcoming occasion warrants it. I don't. Do, it is unnerving when people. It's like, are you following me around, or like, did you? Did somebody I know tell you about that? I don't know. I'm not going to think about it. Like, I'm just going to acknowledge the fact that I am a celebrity, and people are obsessed with what I dry clean. That's my takeaway. Oh goodness gracious. Another Liver King meme of the week. You know, I was watching Congratulations the other week, and I was very delighted that Chris D'Elia is also uh, obsessed with the uh, the Liver King. And I don't mean obsessed like pejoratively. It's just he seems to be fascinated by him. And we had a, a little exchange on Instagram about how he's, <laughs> you know, our favorite influencer of all time. Okay, this one says it's a picture of – do we know what this is from just so I can set that up? Like, I know I probably should know like what this still is, but it's okay. It's an actress and she's like crying and eating something through tears. She does not look like she's in a good place. The caption is liver queen pretending to enjoy fermented goat cum and raw gazelle labia on liver King's Instagram. (laughs) And she's saying, this is good. (laughs) Um, now, this is another Liver King. I'm always going to try to bring a Liver King meme and a Liver King something else, like a video that he posted, but this was I, I found interesting. And I'm going to say this guy's name. I do not mean to call you out or, like, mock you in any way because you are expressing an opinion, and I actually want to be respectful in disagreeing with you, knowing that you're coming from a good place, and I want to expand this conversation. But I have to admit, when I first read it, this was in the comments of the last episode, uh, I did sort of laugh to myself, and I'll explain why. So Mike uh, Mike Benoit says, hey, hey, man, not a hater, and I believe you, but Brian Johnson, the liver king, has been my customer for several years, and that guy lives and breathes everything he says. Now, I'm not denying that. I'm not denying he lives the ancestral tenants. So that, that and I try to separate that criticism, you know, that this dude works out like a maniac. He eats all the stuff he says he eats. He's out in the sun. He gets the cold. He gets the sleep. He doesn't go on social media too much. Like those things, you know, I, I like, I think he's got a good system. My issue is with when it comes to steroids and his like skirting of the truth. And he hasn't said like, I don't take steroids or I do take steroids. It's always some weird kind of around, the, you know, uh, is skirting around the issue and, and addressing it indirectly, which to me is sort of uh, makes me think that he's hiding something. He just acts sort of guilty. But anyway, this guy says he is uh, he is with he's with my customer for years before social media. Okay, maybe he meant he knows his customers for years before social media. He is a weirdo animal, <laughs> and he is. I mean, objectively, he's a weird kind of, you know, he's, he's got some quirks. Let's be honest. He's a weirdo animal. I'll give you that. But 
it's definitely all natural in the weirdest way possible. Now, I don't know what that qualifier, like you're natural in the weirdest way possible. You know, I don't know exactly what that means, but it's like, maybe he's saying it's unexpectedly like, I, I see what you're saying that it doesn't look natural, but weirdly he is. By the way, I sell power sports, all of those off-road machines he, he bought from me. So check out Mike Benoit and buy something from him to make up for the fact that I'm calling him out. He says, party on way. Now, again, this guy is like, he's expressing his opinion. He did it respectfully. And I think this is pretty common that you see people go, no, The Rock's not on steroids. Like, he says he isn't. You know, The Rock works out all the time. Like, I've seen him. I've seen his work ethic. You know, I've seen these bits of evidence that I take as proof that he does not take steroids. However, I think you're being a little bit naive. My response to that was, with all due respect... You're out of your mind if you think he's natural. Okay, maybe that's not respectful, but that's what I believe. You base that assertion on what? His claims? Or have you been randomly drug testing him since you've known him? But could be fun to have you call in if you want to do a little back and forth on whether he's natural. And maybe he'll respond to this comment, but people often conflate this sort of like, he says he's not, and I've seen him work out. Those are not evidence of somebody being natural. You would literally have to randomly drug test somebody. And even then, I mean, people get away with doping all the time, but we're not talking about an athletic context. I'm not accusing him uh, of cheating. And he's actually gone. One of the ways he's screwed around this direct denial is he goes, I've never cheated in my life. And it's like, well, we're not accusing you of cheating. We're accusing you of omitting something. Yeah, you'd have to be an athlete to be cheating. He's right. not an athlete. He's a big, strong right. dude. Right, yeah. And so that's, you know, it's one of these rhetorical bait and switches where it's like, yeah. I've never cheated. It's like, but I, I didn't say cheating. You said cheating. And that shifts the goalpost over here when that's not the accusation. The accusation is you're misrepresenting how you attained the look of your physique, which is the look that people are responding to and aiding you in going viral. Okay, so, Mike, I want to hear back from you. And potentially we could even have a fun little debate on the show, um, you know, and I don't mean to condescend to people like, you don't know anything about steroids, but you do kind of have to come from that place. It's like, well, I'm not saying I'm the world's foremost expert on it, but having taken them and known many people who have, there are certain telltale signs that I use or that I, that I look for in making my determination that maybe people aren't totally aware of. Because look, I was fucking naive too. When I was growing up, I thought all the guys in the muscle mags were natty because they they wouldn't say anything about it. It's like, well, they don't talk about steroids, and they say that they're using cell tech, and that's why they're 350 pounds at six percent body fat in the off season. It works for me. I mean, the cognitive dissonance there, it's it's very powerful in so many walks of life. But had I not had the direct experience of putting steroids into my body, I wouldn't know what they look like in other people's bodies. All right, let's do a Mark Harley meme of the week. Daniel Rabone is so clutch when it comes to setting me the funniest. She does like sends me stuff every week that it just cracks me up. This is my hair on Joe Biden's face with my goatee on there. And uh, I got to say, kind of, <laughs> it makes me realize how ridiculous my hair looks. But at the same time, it's not like it looks bad on Joe Biden. That's what I'm saying. I'm like. Biden should grow it out. <laughs> let it let it go. Yeah, like I want to be a though. It looks creepy, but it's not totally creepy. He also did uh, my face on or Trump's face with my hair. We'll do that next week. And then he, this is a really funny one. He did, uh, you know, I posted this picture right here, my face on Snoop Dogg's body performing at the Super Bowl. Haters will say this was the best that I didn't deliver the best performance at a Super Bowl of all time. 
And uh, I gotta say, I kind of look good at Snoop Dogg. I honestly look at an image like that and I'm like, I should lose weight and look lankier. <laughs> Cause he just looks cool in clothes. Like I can't wear something like that and just be like, yeah, like, you know, skinny lanky dudes look really good in clothing. Like if I don't wear the right thing, I'm just gonna look fat, right? So that's why I wear tank tops. Like, no, it's muscle under here, I swear. I'm not just a big puffy marshmallow. Cool stuff I saw on the internet this week. Look at this meme right here. Now, somebody was like, haters will say you, would, you, were, you won't post a meme about 50 Cent just because he follows you. And it is true. I'm very careful about disrespecting 50 Cent because he it put a lot of money in my pocket and gave me a big opportunity for which I am forever grateful and actually have a tremendous amount of respect for him. So that counters into, that, that factors in when you're thinking about putting something disrespectful, like somebody posted a, a meme where, it's like, uh, you know, uh, Bizarre from D12 hanging upside down. <laughs> it's like, you know, yes, 50 Cent's gained some weight over the years, as most men do, you know, over the course of 25 years as they, you know, march towards middle age. But he still works out a lot, looks good. But, uh, you know, is he 6% body fat like he used to be when he filmed the original video for this? No. Uh, is, it, <laughs> is he thick enough to be this dude's dick in a meme? Yes, and that is funny enough to warrant me actually sharing that one, and I feel like it's not disrespectful. Um, the other cool thing I saw on the internet, let's click on that link real quick. Oh my God, this, somebody sent me this and it was just <laughs> perfect. He's when he wrote Uncut Jams. Right. Do you know what? Uncut Jams. Uncut Jams. Okay, we're gonna hear the What's first that? part. This is Kanye's. This is Kanye West's new girl. I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncut Jams. Do you know what? Uncut Jams. Ed, we'll pause for a second. She's. This is uh, one of the girls from the Caller Daddy podcast, the former Caller Daddy podcast. I forget what her name is. No disrespect, but it's Alex or Alexis or something. Um, she's interviewing this girl who Kanye West is dating right now. Julia Fox. Julia Fox. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Casey. And. To refer to yourself as a muse is just one of those things where it's like, oh, God, like you got to kind of let other people say, this is my muse. You can't be like, I am a muse. Mm -hmm. And I am responsible for one of the greatest movies that Adam Sandler's ever been in because I was in the room while my boyfriend was writing the script. Whatever she's claiming, it's just a very, you know, it's like, oh, you're the muse for this like dark tale of a, you know, <laughs> like a diamond dealer and, and uh, betting gone wrong, like. Uncut Gems is a fantastic movie, and these are two of my favorite directors of all time, and I love the movie they did before that with uh, Robert Pattinson. Have you seen that? Yes. Good Time? Good Time, yeah. Like, I, like I, I was stunned by it. I'm like, how is this not like more talked about? Somebody had to be like, dude, watch this, watch this, watch this. And it's just so original and inventive and just intense. And same thing with Uncut Gems. And so to hear this, and who knows, like, I'm not saying that there's no truth to it whatsoever, but the conceit of saying like something like that <laughs> and how she says it, and this is so funny because if you're in LA, you also know this is how girls talk. When I do like my Markeisha character and it's like, uh, you know, like I'm not doing this without being rooted in reality that women really talk like this and I love it. So let's hear it one more time. Uncle John. Uncle Oh, Uncle Jams. Uncle Jams. What is a muse? What I mean, is a muse? I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncle Jams. Right. I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncle Jams. Oh, that's uh, like upspeak. Right, yes, upspeak. Yeah, Uncle Jams. Yeah, Uncle Jams. Yeah. And also just taking the ending, Uncle Jams. Milking it, just milking it. Yeah, Uncle Jams. It's like so like casual and obvious. Like, 
It isn't Uncut Gems. I was there and I was the muse. It's I was there and I was Uncut All right, moving right along. I want to talk. <laughs> Hater of the week is everybody who kept messaging me that I was hiding in the bushes to give Brendan whiskey. And again, I point this out because the pattern that I'll always come back to is the moment you tell me something that is objectively false, because I wasn't hiding in the bushes. I knocked the bushes over. There I was, yes. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, a, this is a graphic representation of what I looked like at the Super Bowl party, disappearing into the bushes. But like, if that's what I was doing, I would cop up to it. So the, what I've just found over the course of this last year is it's similar to the age thing. Like guys would be like, you're hiding in a bush and you're in your 40s. And I'm like, I'm almost in my 40s, but not quite. Like, why is that like pivotal to you dissing me? Is like the moment a man turns 40 that somehow like they can't do anything and they've failed in life if they're not a billionaire. Um, but the fact is, I'm not, and I'll admit to it, but the pattern of you just, you take the truth and you have to embellish it and then you're done. And I had this realization, Casey, that, you know, because I always tell people, I'm like, you, you've lost the moment you're coming at me. And this is why it's still fun for me to talk about these haters because they all come in these clusters and it's like, oh, you're all saying the same exact thing to me. Like you're in a cult, right? There's no independent thought there. You, you're animated by like a directive. It all comes at once and it's like, I can't even distinguish between what two different people are saying because you all sound the same. What I realized is when I used to debate politics, for example, online, you start out with like the facts or you're trying to be like, well, actually abortion's bad because, uh, you know, um, you're taking a stance that at least, even though it might come from a place of emotion, usually this discourse is kind of, uh, we navigate it with facts and counterpoints and points. So you're kind of going back and forth and addressing each other's points directly. And the moment that somebody goes, yeah, that's why you suck at your job and you're ugly and it has nothing to do with the conversation. You're like, oh, well, I, I won because this guy's now, you know, going through my Facebook page and making fun of my, you know, appearance and profession and family members. And I go, oh my God, that's where all these dudes are starting from. Like they're starting there and it's like, well, I've already won. Like I can just have fun with this now because you started at the place where most people end when they lose a debate and they're like, you know, get corrected on some basic fact and they have a meltdown and start insulting your appearance because they know there's no way out of this, right? And so I'm like, oh, you're, that's what it is. It's like the conversation's already over. You're extending out that final portion where you've been humiliated and your only recourse is to attack something totally unrelated, you know, to any sort of point or your life. And that's what you keep having to repeat is my appearance or I'm in the bushes or I'm 50 years old. And it's like, oh, I, but huh, something must have upset you. Let's do a bro science academy. As I promised, guys, I'm in the business of keeping promises, not breaking them. Mark, how are you going to address the fact that your shoulder is going to fall off in five years? Well, I'm going to make some actual adjustments to how I lift, and I've already started doing this. Basically, because anything wide grip is just putting my shoulder in a position that's weaker, it basically doesn't, like my pectoral fibers wouldn't fire in a certain place. And like, you just, if you put your joints in a compromised position that involves acute pain, your body simply can't fire those fibers or contract in these positions. And I realized I was holding on to certain approaches like the wide grip bench press, for example, wide grip pulldowns even. 
I noticed like I wouldn't get a pump in a certain area. It'd be like, you know, like well, this side would get pumped and like, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm lifting the most weight, but I realized like, oh, something's happening over on this side that I'm, you know, would, would be in denial about, but really it was like, I can tell something's not working, but my meathead ego side is like, no, 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 go for the PR, go for the heaviest thing you could ever lift. And that's been fun and I've hit some PRs recently, but I gotta let it all go. I really had to make this conscious decision to say, all right, I've had enough ego lifting essentially for my life. And so when I went to hit bench yesterday, I did incline. Normally I might go up to a set of 315. I stayed at 225. I did close grip, slow reps, controlled on the bottom. And so now I'm, you know, doing three sets of, I think the, the most I did it was 12 and then maybe like, you know, 10 and eight or something like that to relative failure, but not quite like all out because the other thing that happens is when you go to failure and this joint's weaker, then you start contorting the joint moves. All these bad things happen in that moment. So like I've talked to you about before, you don't have to train to failure every time, but what you do have to do is add some volume, add some other elements that as the intensity and proximity to failure goes down, you can up this time under tension, holding the bar right above your chest, uh, really focusing on the bar path uh, and consciously making that mind-muscle connection because you can actually, even though you're doing a narrow grip, for example, I had one of the best chest workouts I've ever had by going lighter and going more narrow. Two things that conventional wisdom would dictate, like go as heavy as possible and get these, you know, uh, the most you can lift on a barbell and also, um, you know, go to failure and also, this is only gonna work triceps. Well, it turns out, you know, if your pec can only contract when your arm is in this line, um, you're gonna get a better contraction. So ironically, we've kind of been sold this meme of like close grip stuff works your triceps and doesn't work your pecs. I got a phenomenal chest workout from doing all close grip stuff and that's how I'm gonna be using that in the future. Okay. Look, I know we've been going on for a long time. I wanna get to a couple more things, okay? First of all, I want to address the Joe Rogan controversy with a little something that's just for me, okay? Because we've heard all the angles on it. And I don't have anything to add per se to the notion of should Joe Rogan be canceled or not, or the broader conversation on, uh, you know, like cancel culture. I have commentary on cancel culture and even what that means because I think people use the term in different ways in different situations. But here's how I think about stuff like this that might offer you insight into the way that I approach some of these ethical questions in order to not be dogmatic or ideological. We're talking about a white guy using the N-word, which, um, you know, the consensus is it's not good ever. And we, as Joe Rogan even put, it's sort of this one exception to the English language where we have these rules around it. It's like, it's not for you to use. And yes, black people can use it, but you can't. The history is very loaded, almost more than any other racial slur in America specifically. So there's all these exceptions to that rule. But at the end of the day, you could sum it up and say, this is a, a racial slur that hurts people's feelings. Now, in order to define or look at sort of the, the, uh, the, the nature of the ethical transgression of Joe Rogan saying the N-word repeatedly in the context of quoting other things like rap lyrics, for example, or discussing the word rather than targeting it at an individual, which I think we can all agree 
you know, is below, you know, targeting, using the word to attack somebody. And if you keep going down, increasing uh, the severity of the use of that word, eventually you end up like, you know, let's go to the extreme. You're using racial slurs to incite genocide, right? That's like the farthest end of the spectrum. Well, can we establish another end of the spectrum where you go, there is no harm in this. If you continue to rob the context and meaning of the word, for example, do you know in Chinese, have you seen this Russell Peters joke? No. Or, okay. Um, in Chinese, sounds like the N-word in English. Uh. So you can have a Chinese person saying what to an American sounds like the N-word, and they're basically saying, um, right? So that's one example where the word is being spoken, but it's unintentional. It has a different meaning and context than somebody who's a native English speaker saying it, right? Totally benign. It's benign because you, you write, so you go, okay, so the word appearing from somebody's mouth, there are considerations to go like, does that person know what it means? If they don't, is it a different language? Is it, you know, is, so all these things where you can say, okay, that's, that's below Joe Rogan because we can't even have a debate about whether that person's racist because they meant something totally different. Another thing you might say, what's one step below what Joe Rogan did sort of objectively is, what if he was on the podcast and he admitted later that he thought the word, right? In that moment, we wouldn't, think that he hurt uh, anybody had he kept that to himself. But that's an example of something where the word pops up, it's not spoken, but I think we can agree that having the thought doesn't harm anybody's feelings and therefore is not an ethical transgression. Between those two things of, of thinking a word or having a similar sounding word in Chinese spoken by somebody who doesn't know English and all the way to uh, you know, using racial slurs to incite genocide, you have to think for yourself about where Joe Rogan's transgression lies on that spectrum. If you're ideological or dogmatic or have this approach that every use of any racial slur is always the same despite the context, well, then all of these things would have the same ethical value, right? So I encourage you to create scenarios and thought experiments and go, okay, you know, is it a one or is it a 10? Is it a two, is it a seven? It's somewhere on there and you can act accordingly, right? You can decide for yourself by imagining scenarios that are more severe and less severe and confidently come to your own conclusions about what is the, the degree to which this person was wrong, right? And comparatively, uh, you know, to other transgressions that other people have made, where does that fit in? And what should be the recourse for this? Is an apology sufficient? Is he sincere, et cetera? All those things you can take into consideration. And you're doing this because why? Because other people will try to get you to not do that, right? They're gonna try to get you to accept like, no, 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 this is the rule always. And it doesn't matter what the context was said. It doesn't matter if you're manipulating something to make it seem worse by robbing it of its context. And that is a part of cancel culture or specifically attacks on comedians. It's dependent on robbing a joke of its context, because even if you're in a club and you tell an edgy joke and people are laughing, well, that was an effective joke. If you remove the context of the club and the audience, well, it might seem totally different, but this is the nature of people attempting to get others in trouble for jokes or words or whatever. It starts with robbing the context. So put the context back in, think about where it is on the spectrum with other transgressions around it, and that's its own context, and all of a sudden you are hella logical. 
that's the name of the segment. I forgot to say, but it's like, dude, we're so logical here and just like so smart. This is crazy and just, damn, dude. Okay. Let's do it this way. We can't have nice gyms. All right. Let's just finish things off here. Okay. This dude's scooping pre-workout. Dry scooping. And this is what you get. Oh, he dropped it all on the floor. Oh, because he was trying to catch his headphones. Something like, yeah, wait. I yeah, didn't catch so that at first. Headphones but I'm like, I got to like, I gotta catch my headphones and aggressively uh, throws uh, the. See his headphones on his. Oh, it, right. He's like, I got to catch Oh, them. yeah. He tried to go back behind this. And I'd say, hey, that's what you get, man. That's what you get for dry scooping pre workout. I do not know of any reason that you would dry scoop pre workout. It's just stupid. Don't do it. Don't take pre workout. Don't do anything but go to the gym and lift. That guy, it's like 20 bucks down the drain. I know it's not a lot of money, but I just, you know, I enjoyed seeing that where it's like, not only does he have to suffer through that humiliation, but then it's like, you're sitting in a pile of pre-workout powder and it's kind of your responsibility to clean it up, right? And so you got to like, oh, yeah, let me get a paper, eight paper towels and just, yeah, no, I, yeah, I spilled the whole, the whole canister. It's on the floor. All right. And this dude I thought was funny goes up and another reason to like not get all pumped up before you do big lifts is like. There's no point. This doesn't help you concentrate. You're hopping and the smacking and the jumping up and down. None of those things help this guy lift properly because he immediately <laughs> fails in a way I've never seen before where the bar like grabs his shoulders. Seemingly, it's like, you know, did somebody put, uh, you know, duct tape on those on the bar? It seemingly like gripped his shirt and it's like somebody like yanked him backwards with this, right? <laughs> it's just I've never seen anybody fail that way, but clearly something went wrong and it's because yeah you're jumping up and down instead of looking at the bar and focusing on your setup dude you don't need to jump up and down just do the fucking lift and did he do like smelling salts before it wouldn't surprise me but all that stuff I i'm think, like yeah. dude just like do a good rap you know you're doing everything but focusing on the fact that you have to get into the bar and take two steps backward and then do a squat all right what's the last one we got this guy he's got five plates on a smith machine he's got uh, like a slingshot bench assist thing going on. He's got a belt. He's got toothpick legs. He's not built whatsoever. He's doing this huge setup. He's also wearing work boots and jeans seemingly, but it's like, it's all this contradictory stuff. It's like, you know, you're in a Smith machine putting on five plates. You're using a slingshot, but you know, you don't look like you can bench more than one plate at a time. You have all this equipment, but you don't have like gym shoes, right? I'm into it. I'm... <laughs> I don't know. This is the first one where I'm like, you know you what? Know, right. right. Oh, I, I mean, like it. Like, and not, and not even to say that there isn't any sort of benefit to this because like, if you're doing heavy negatives, like that could work, but just like, what's the plan here? You just want to go up and go like, I want to interview these people. Cause I go like, there must be some sort of mental illness, right? Even if this is like 10%, it's like you're 10% just totally, you know, delusions of grandeur or whatever. Like, did you think you were going to lift the weight? Do you not realize that you look so stupid? Because, like, you know, sure, don't care what people think, but at the same time, when you're in a gym doing this, like, everybody in the gym thinks you're mentally ill. So is that a risk you're willing to take? Like, you know, and for what? It'd be one thing if it's like, people think I'm crazy because I invested in this cryptocurrency that took off and now I'm a billionaire. But it's like, people think I'm crazy because I put five plates uh, on a Smith machine bench press, covered myself uh, with a bench suit and a belt and wore black boots and then failed on it and almost broke my neck, you know? Like, if it wasn't for the, the stoppers there, the guy would have snapped himself in half, right? And then he has to crawl out from underneath it. I just want to go, like, was that worth it? 
Is this something you're doing on the regular? Do you realize this is damaging your reputation? Do you realize that people won't talk to you because you look like a crazy person and that you're not actually gaining any muscle? Again, you're always watching these people going, you know, is this, is this working? Because you don't, you don't look strong, right? So have you like, what were the other programs that you looked into before deciding on this one, before deciding I'm gonna put every plate that I can grab on a Smith machine bench press and just let it crush me? Right? That's, that's the strategy. And somebody's filling them out and they'll, I don't know, I just mean like, I want to start interviewing these people is what I'm saying. I want to start getting the crazy people. I want to find them and track them down about, get me in contact with this person because I want to talk to, I want to go, give me your mindset. Give me your thought process. I want to know where things went wrong. I want to know if you've been diagnosed with schizophrenia. I want to know if you've been diagnosed with bipolar and you're having a manic episode of the gym that makes you think you can bench press 500 pounds when you can probably barely do 20 push-ups. okay? I want to know, were you abused as a child? I want to know, were you also given too much positive affirmation as a kid and now all of a sudden you set up unrealistic expectations for yourself to the point where everything you do ends up in a failure and that's why you're in LA serving drinks to bread and Mark, Mark, like it's a Mark, personal servant. It's, it's, it's okay, Mark. Shit, yeah, um, let's cut all that out. Okay.